Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, quite a bio. It means I'm old. I've uh, been around a long time. Uh, we, uh, my wife and I were called years ago to uh, church planting, and, and uh, we've lived uh, in a little town in Florida called Mariana, Florida, where we, uh, where we planted a Christian Missionary Alliance church. We're there for almost a decade. Uh, my wife and I have been involved in a church plant uh, just south of Sarnia, where Wendy is this morning. Uh, and uh, that is, uh, she and I are, are credentialed with two different denominations. Uh, we're kind of the poster child for Emmanuel uh, College. Uh, I'm with the Christian Missionary Alliance. She's with the Evangelical Missionary Church. And uh, we get along just fine anyways. Uh, we lived in the U.S. for a while with Election Day tomorrow. Let me just say this. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, and something really hit me. Whatever your political affiliation, and I'm certainly not going to go there this morning, but uh, I, I, we lived out of, out of Canada. We're, we're Canadians. We're not dual. We're just Canadians. In fact, my, uh, I'm loyalist stock. My uh, grandfather's great-grandfather was Richard Beasley, sold the first land in Kitchener to the Mennonites because that was all his land back then. And, and, um, and so uh, we have roots in this area and in Hamilton, uh, very proud Canadian and uh, seven generations of, of being Canadian. Uh, a, a vote tomorrow is a vote for democracy. That's what it's a vote for. I couldn't vote when I lived in the States. I wasn't a U.S. citizen. Uh, and because of the Westminster system, you vote in the riding that you live in. And I was living in Florida, not a Canadian riding. And so uh, for 10 years almost, we didn't have a chance to vote. And uh, I missed that immensely. So uh, please, 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 please vote tomorrow. Whoever you vote for, what you're voting for is democracy. And that's a gift. I travel a lot around the world. Tonight we're going to talk a little bit about some of the countries we work in where the church is persecuted in political systems that are far less free than ours. So whatever your political view, whatever you think is going to happen by Tuesday morning when we find out what's, what our new government is going to look like, uh, if you vote tomorrow, you vote for a political party, but more than that, you're voting for democracy. It's a gift from the Lord, this democratic system that we have. Uh, don't get me going on that. We're blessed people to live in this country, and we need to vote. Christians, vote, please. Let's pray. Father, after that little sermon, <laughs> thank you for the freedom that we have in this country. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we can go tomorrow and vote. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we, can, uh, we, have, we have the freedom to to. to to look at every party and decide where we stand and we can go and put a that little X on the circle on the ballot and uh, put it into the box and uh, not every country in the world has that privilege. It is a privilege. And so we don't take it lightly and so I pray for tomorrow for our nation, Lord, what a country you've given us. May your Holy Spirit move in power across our nation tomorrow. Father, I pray, whatever the political party, I pray that godly men and women will be uh, elected tomorrow and that uh, your spirit, Lord, will move uh, in the hearts of your people tomorrow to get out and vote. <coughs> Thank you, Lord, for this time we have together now around your word. May, uh, may you speak to our hearts through it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Pastor John said I have a little extra time, so, um, so let me tell you a, a Canadian joke. Can I start with a Canadian joke? This is very extra-biblical. This is not anywhere in the Word of God. But I heard about a conversation. Oh, thank you, brother. I was needing that. Uh, I, uh, I heard about a conversation between the Lord and one of the angels at the time of creation. That's not going to go there. And uh, he said, I, I think I'm going to create a country called Canada. I'm going to make it large. People will come from all over the world and settle there. It will become a great nation. I'm going to give it oil and gas and gold and jewels and platinum and 
They're going to mine and trees and beautiful mountains and broad prairies and one-seventh of all the water, fresh water in the world I'm going to give to this country. And the angel said, don't you think that's a little unfair? And God said, just wait till you see the winter I give them. <laughs> Anyways, we do live in a great country and, and we're very blessed. And I apologize for a joke on Sunday morning, but that's funny. All right. I want to talk to you this morning about uh, Acts 1 verse 9. That's, that's our jumping off point to the message this morning. You know, these are some of the final words that Jesus gave before uh, he ascended into heaven, uh, just uh, days before the day of Pentecost and the Spirit came. Uh, and of course, we know that there's some red letter in your Bible later on when, when Jesus speaks to Paul, Saul on the road to Damascus and things. But this is one of the last places in the Gospels, if you have a red letter Bible, that you'll see red. Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be. Now, when the Lord says you will be, you will be. It's not an option. It's not you might be or if you choose to be. There's a direct correlation. Oh, I, I, I run this thing, don't I? There's a direct correlation between, uh, between the, the infilling power of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment to go. Uh, politicians may give unfunded mandates. You know what those are. They enact legislation, but then forget to enact legislation that pays for the act the legislation they just enacted. So the poor bureaucrats are running around trying to find the money to, to put into place the, the law. And so that's, that's called an unfunded mandate. The Lord never gives an unfunded mandate. There are very few places in Scripture where a command is not given with a promise. Even the Great Commission, where we're called to go and make disciples of all nations, we, we focus on that a lot. We don't focus enough on the promise. Do you know what the promise is at the end of that? And I will be with you even to the end of the age. That's the promise. We ought to be focusing as much on that as we do the first part of the Great Commission. Because this is what he says. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be. There's a the direct correlation between the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the deeper life of God's working in our lives, and the going, always. And so he says, when the Spirit comes, you will be. Now, I, I started to look at the at the Gospels through different lenses a little while ago. Um, I began to see that the Gospels were really a, a discipleship training manual. And every story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were really stories about Jesus teaching his disciples. So there's this balance between truth, which he taught at various times and places, and then, and then showing them examples and putting them into practice. Stuff like fig trees and stuff like that as he traveled along. It was very natural for Jesus. And everything uh, that, he, that he wanted them to be able to accomplish in, in fulfillment of this command and promise uh, in Acts 1 verse 8, uh, he was preparing them for getting them ready for the time when he would ascend and go back to glory and his people would be filled with the Spirit of God and would go. So, Acts 1 verse 8, if you look at John's gospel, is, is quite fascinating, actually, uh, because 
Uh, there's a, there's, a, there's a, a, a chronology here. You will be my witnesses in first Jerusalem, and then Judea, which is the area around, and then Samaria, that's cross-cultural ministry, and then to the ends of the earth. And uh, what's interesting is, uh, as you read John's gospel, you find that that's exactly the chronology of John chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. So in John chapter 2, Jesus and his followers are in Jerusalem. In John chapter 3, Jesus and his followers are in Judea. In John chapter 4, Jesus and his followers are in Samaria. Now, isn't that interesting? And now some of you are going leafing through your Bibles, and you should. You can just find them all in there. And, and so, but it's the same order as here in, in uh, John, uh, as in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Why am I saying all of this? Well, usually when you have your missions Sunday, your global outreach Sunday, uh, you learn about what missionaries are doing around the world, and we tend to look at Western missionaries who go overseas. That's been the, 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 the model for a couple of hundred years since modern evangelical, the modern evangelical missionary movement began. Uh, and rightfully so, and I am ordained with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which has the very traditional missionary model at the heart of, of who we are as a denomination. Uh, but we don't do ministry that way at Bible League Canada. And that's the point I'm making here. Uh, we do all of our work through national partners who are reaching their own Jerusalem. Because we're going to find out that that's the model that Jesus always started with in the Gospels. And we're going to look at a couple of examples of that in the Word of God today. So we partner with national Christians. We call them local champions to help them reach their own Jerusalem. We do not send missionaries overseas. The only two really that get to travel a lot are Paul Richardson, our president, and myself. And we go, each of us, about 13 weeks a year overseas. Just got back from the Philippines and South Korea and leave in about two weeks for Ethiopia. Norm's coming with me to Ethiopia. That'll be fun. We'll have a great time. And we bring some of the rest of our team occasionally uh, with us when we travel. But basically, we believe this. The living Word of God, plus biblical training, plus local champions, equals transformed lives. And you heard from Steve some of the results of those. Those numbers are mind-boggling, and I'm going to be sharing more stories tonight when we're actually looking at Bible League Canada a bit more closely. We pretty much know every single one of those people that came to the Lord, that million seventy thousand in 2018, because they're in one of our... In one of our um, classes, one of our churches that's been planted, we know who they are. But this is a model that is being used very much by the Lord in these days as the church globally has matured. And that's really the secret. The church is maturing. It's, it's large. Uh, there are more believers, uh, far more believers uh, in, in some small countries in Southeast Asia than there are in Canada now. And the church has matured. And so they're ready to reach their own Jerusalem and Judea. They're prepared to do that. All we're doing is coming alongside and helping them. So how, let me illustrate the principle of Jerusalem. So uh, we're going to look at Jerusalem today. Uh, I want to begin by uh, somewhere between Nazareth and Cana. And here's a map. All right, so, so you know that about the time that John the Baptist was imprisoned, just before he was beheaded, Jesus decided the time had come for him to leave Nazareth, right there, and begin his ministry up here in Kafarnahum. Kafarnahum, 
We murder so much Hebrew, you would not believe it in English. Uh, my wife and I lead tours uh, to Israel about every 18 months. We're going to talk about that in a bit. But uh, one of the things that we teach when we're over there is what Capernaum means. Does anybody know what Capernaum means? That's usually the result I get when I ask the question. It, it is not actually Capernaum in Hebrew. It is Kafar Nahum. Kafar Nahum. Uh, Kafar means village. Nahum is Nahum. Who wrote the book? Better read the book. Because you're going to get to glory, and Nahum's going to be there, and he's going to say, what do you think of my book? <laughs> I mean, you better have read his book before you get there. Anyways, this is a little village where Nahum the prophet was from, and it's where Jesus made his uh, home for uh, the three and a half years or so. And remember about Seder, we're going to get there in a second. Uh, all up here, along here. Now, to get from here to here, you have to follow some valleys. And you notice hills, hills hills, hills. All right, so to get there, you kind of have to go down through this valley and then to Magdala. I could preach a whole sermon on Magdala. I won't go there. All right, but anyhow, if you look, you can see the valley. So he has to come from Nazareth over to Cana, down the valley to Magdala. That's how he got there at the beginning of his ministry. Here's a picture of Nazareth, uh, kind of how it was in Jesus' day. All right, so here it is. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, Jesus was the Nazarene. Seventeen times in the English Bible, he is called Jesus of Nazareth. Now, there seemed to be a little bit of, of a dispute between, uh, Jesus, between Nazareth and some of the other towns around. I don't know. Maybe it's an Edmonton Oilers, Calgary Flames thing. I don't know. But you're going to find out by a statement that's made here by, by Nathaniel that there's a little bit of uh, rivalry going on between communities here. And it says this. The next day, so he's decided to go now. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He finds Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Remember, we looked at that up by Capernaum. Uh, Philip found Nathanael, now he's Nathanael, and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then here's the little Calgary slam. Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? From there, Nathanael asked. Come and see. All right, so I want to talk to you about reaching your own Jerusalem. I have been a pastor a long time, and, I, and I, 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 I know how challenging personal evangelism can be to all of us, and I'm including me in the us. It's, it's not easy. We think we have to have all of the, the theological arguments. We've got to know everything there is to know about Jesus. We have to read every book there is to know about, about uh, salvation. We, just, we have to have it all together. Well, I have good news for you. Philip had come to be a follower of Jesus like just recently, maybe like the day before, maybe that same day. He didn't know who Jesus was. He wouldn't know for years. The disciples didn't figure it out till after the cross, after the open tomb, after the resurrection, after the ascension, after the day of Pentecost. They finally figured it all out. I guarantee you at this point, <laughs> Philip did not know everything. He did not have all the theological answers or understand the deep theology of the person of Christ. What he does is use three little words. And as you go out from this place to reach your Jerusalem, 
I encourage you to use three little words. What are the three little words? Come and see. That's it. If Jesus has made a difference in your life, come and see. If you love Jesus and he's everything and he gives you hope and peace and joy and all the fruit of the Spirit, then you say to people, come and see. That's it. Come and see. And they will say, well, what about this? And you will say, I don't know, come and see. Surely you can say three words. Come and see. We're going to talk more about the implications of that. It's wonderful as we work through this. So, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of them, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. I love the old King James sometimes. And I love the word, it says guile. It's just one of those words. In him there is no guile. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, before Philip called you. <laughs> you know what? When you go to somebody and say, come and see... Jesus has already been working in their hearts before you get there. Right? That's what he said. I saw you before. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What a promise. Right, so we're going to stop there for a second, because in every gospel, something happens chronologically here. Now, you probably know, if you're a student of the Word, that not everything uh, in the gospels is always chronological. Sermon on the Mount, for example, in Matthew, uh, is, a, is a bunch of sayings all put together that Luke spreads out across his, uh, his gospel. So it's not chronological always. But what's interesting is, this story of the calling of Nathaniel in every gospel is, is immediately followed by the wedding in Cana. So when that happens, and this consistency in the chronology of the Gospels, you have to ask why. Why? So what we read next in John 2 is this, the wedding in Cana. Now, I, I preached uh, this message, uh, similar message, uh, at a church, an Egyptian church in Mississauga a couple of months ago. And I, I thought I would ask some questions because I've been to weddings lots of different countries in India and, and in the Philippines, and, but I've not been to a wedding in the Middle East. So I thought I have a whole congregation full of Egyptians with a smattering of Syrians thrown in. So I said to them, uh, so tell me about weddings in the Middle East. Who comes to a wedding in the Middle East? And they said, everybody. I said, everybody? They said, Everybody. So I said, you don't have like 60, 75 people sit down for dinner? They said, never. If you're having a wedding, everybody comes. I said, great. So that means that at the wedding at Cana, who's going to be there? Small village. And they said, everybody. Remember that. It's really important. So you know the story. On, a, on the third day, three days after this call of Nathaniel, a wedding takes place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Okay, now we got a, we got a little issue here. Because I'm can I I'm gonna go back real fast. Ah, here we are. All right, so here's Nazareth. Here's Cana. There's about 12 kilometers in between. This is Israel small. So about 12 kilometers in between. So it's kind of like here to Kitchener or something like that. 
And, and there's just this little, these two towns, and, and here they are. And, and so here is, this, here is this wedding going on, and Mary is there, and the rest of the gang is there, and uh, uh, back there. So on the third day, they're at this wedding. Jesus' mother is there. Jesus and his disciples are invited to the wedding. Everybody, everybody's there. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And so Jesus obeyed his mother. Now, my mother's 85, and she loves to come with me. Uh, she's, my, she's my birth mom, and that's a whole other story. We met uh, 18 years ago and reconnected. I had the joy of leading her to the Lord and baptizing her. And she just plumb fallen in love with Jesus. And, and so she likes to come because she missed all those years when I wasn't in her life. And so, but she's visiting a friend in BC at the moment, or she would be sitting right there. And she would tell you that I always do what she tells me to do. <laughs> I can say that because she's not here. All right, so, so it says, fill the jars with water, and they fill them to the brim. And then uh, it's, it goes on. Then he told them, now draw some out. You know the story. And take it to the master of the banquet. And he tasted the water that had been turned into wine and didn't know where it had come from, but he was surprised. Uh, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you've saved the best till now. And then it says, what Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now he did his first miracle. There was Cana back in the day of uh, drawing, it would have been like in Jesus' day. And we know there's uh, the water, that's a typical first century jug, and there's a picture of Jesus turning the water into wine. And then I want to stop here for a second, because as I was reading later, the problem with, with John chapter 2 being so far from John chapter 21 is that we miss it. We find out earlier in the story where Philip is from, Bethsaida, doesn't tell us where Nathaniel is, come, is from. In fact, we don't learn that till way, way later in the Gospels when Jesus has already risen and he's at Emmaus and he's with his disciples and, and the Bible's very careful to record very, the details and it records this. Now, this is fascinating. Afterward, this is after the, the uh, re resurrection, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas known as Didymus, and Nathaniel from... Oy, 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 oy. Took me 19 chapters to figure this out. Now I know why the story of the calling of Nathaniel always comes before the wedding in Cana. Because the first place Jesus always takes you is to the people who know you best. Always. Always. Outside these doors. Your Jerusalem. Right here. Can you picture it now? All right, so here we've got a picture culturally what's going on here. Nathaniel has just declared that Jesus is the promised one, the Son of God. He's following Jesus now, and the first place Jesus takes him to is a wedding in his hometown where everybody is there. Oh, man. <clears throat> because the people who know us best are the ones who can tell more than anybody else the change that Jesus has made in our lives. And Jesus will never send you to Ethiopia before he sends you home. Powerful thought. When the Spirit of God fills you, Acts 1 verse 8, you will be my witnesses to your own family, those who know you best, to your Jerusalem. It's biblical and it fills the Gospels. It's, it's, it's so often. Let me tell you a little story about how this works. 
The first evangelistic, uh, modern evangelical missionary work in Thailand began in 1823, so it's been almost 200 years. In all those 200 years, God bless those missionaries who have been working so diligently and laying the foundation of the gospel on hard ground. Only 1.2% of the population of Thailand are believers. After 200 years of missionary work, almost exclusively they're in the cities. In the villages, and there are tens of thousands of villages in Thailand, there are no, there's no church, no gospel presence. The name of Jesus has never been heard until now. Because there are Thai believers, native Thai believers, who have figured this out and have decided they needed to take the gospel to their own Jerusalem. And so uh, I want to introduce you to my friend Samsak. Samsak is this brother by the cross in the picture here. He's teaching, he's training church planters in, the, in central Thailand, away from the cities. These were all the little villages. Uh, he's an auto mechanic by trade. Has a little, um, has a little uh, storefront uh, motorcycle repair place. But he's not there much anymore because he, this, this movement has taken off like crazy. And he's training all these church planters. And it happened this way. <clears throat> um, if you, how many of you have been to a Thai restaurant? I expect it to be many of you. How many of you have noticed that on the wall, I don't even know what Thai restaurant you've been to, but I know the answer to this. How many have noticed that on the wall of the Thai restaurant is a picture of the king of Thailand? Okay, next time you're there, look. It will be there. Every home in Thailand has a picture of the king of Thailand. Every house has a picture of the king and queen of Thailand. That's just Thai. If you say anything negative about the king of Thailand, you will end up in the slammer for a time. The king is respected and revered. So when the king died two years ago, the entire country was called, ordered to go into mourning for one year. Every tie had to wear black from here to there uh, for an entire year. And all large gatherings were outlawed. Well, that was a bit of a problem for my friend Samsak here because he and his people uh, had, had this big evangelistic Western-style crusade planned. And they trained 200 workers for the crusade. And then they were told they couldn't have it. So they thought, well, let's do something Thai. Let's do something gospel. We've trained 200 workers. Why don't we send them out to 200 villages where there's no churches and there's no gospel and nobody's heard of Jesus? Well, there's an idea. When the Spirit of God fills you, you will be my witnesses in your Jerusalem. So off they went. And you know what they found? Just like Nathaniel just like Philip, God had gone ahead. And in every village, there was a person of peace, which is a, which is a New Testament principle. Some of the Lord had prepared. They weren't believers yet, necessarily, but, but they were, God had prepared their hearts. So when these 200 arrived in the villages, the people in the villages were waiting. And so I want to show you one right here. This uh, dear lady, we visited, uh, the, uh, we vi we visited her village uh, four weeks after... Yeah, four weeks after the church planter had arrived in her village for the first time. No gospel in the history of Thailand ever in this village. The name of Jesus was unheard of ever in this village. 
but this lady met the, the church planter, the, one of these 200 that had been trained, coming into her village from the village next door. And she said, who are you and what are you doing in our village? Because everybody knows everybody in the village. And he said, well, I've come to bring good news. Oh, what's the good news? Well, I've come to tell you about the living God. Oh, she said. But where are you going to tell people that? What, what, you know? He said, well, I don't have a location to do this. She said, well, isn't that funny? She said, because I've tried to start two businesses. And so when I started the first one, I put a big concrete slab in front of my house. And the business failed. So she thought maybe it was because it didn't have a covering. So I put this covering over top this concrete slab. And she said, no, that second business failed. So I have this now concrete slab with a roof over it. And if you want to have your meeting to tell this good news, you can come and have it in front of my house. So they did. And here it is with all the plastic chairs. You can't see that really well. I'm sorry about that. But anyhow, there's plastic chairs there, like there is everywhere in the world. <laughs> so 12 people showed up, and 12 people gave their hearts to the Lord that Christmas, Christmas of 2017. And so we're back now, like three weeks later. It's early in January. And this lady gave her life to Christ at that first gathering at her house. And now the, her house is now the church with building. And, and so this is the second meeting of the church in this village ever, and they have her up telling her testimony already. It's like Jesus took her by the shoulder like he did Nathaniel, took her into her village, into his village of Cana, and said, now you're going to tell everybody what just happened. And they believe that, and it's happening all over the world. And this lady's been a Christian for maybe two weeks, and everybody in town knows her. And they got a mic in front of her, and she's giving her testimony about coming to know Jesus. Now, they have spirit houses over there in Cambodia and Thailand. They believe in evil spirits and territorial spirits, and they're afraid of them. So they all have little spirit houses, and they serve them. They put little bottles of Sprite. For some reason, they like Sprite and apples and candles. And So she still has all this around her property. She doesn't even know she can get rid of that now because the perfect love will cast out all fear. She doesn't know that yet. So there's still this thing going on because she's like a brand-new believer. But they got her up already sharing her testimony. And, uh, okay, hang on, okay, yep. All right, so uh, at her house, and, and then this is the second service. Remember, look at the people. Who's coming to this wedding? Everybody. Whole town's here now, right? And so the gospel is preached. Great little thing. No, they have this, this uh, wordless uh, little book they use to share the gospel. And then, like, tons of people came to the Lord. So these are all the people at the end of the service lined up to receive the Lord. Second service ever in this village. <laughs> I want to tell you the story of this guy because I couldn't believe it. This guy here. He's a town drunk. He was a town drunk. He uh, was uh, completely inebriated when he came. He was uh, kind of fun to have around in the service. And, uh, and uh, he tried to disrupt things a little bit. But at the end, God bless him, he came forward and sat down. And, and uh, I've heard of this happening before. I've never seen it in my entire life. But he prayed to receive Jesus as his Savior, and when he finished praying, he was stone cold sober. Praise God. It's such a blessing to know the power of God when we pray. And this is happening because the first call when the Spirit of God comes upon you will be to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And there he is praying. So anyhow, uh, the next day we had 540 baptisms. And uh, now praise God for that. And uh, <coughs> that sounds pretty good, <clears throat> except that this week, after I sent this to you, Linda, 
I thought, oh, I really want to show this instead, but I thought I can't do this to Linda like at noon on Friday. But I got a video from Thailand because on the 6th of October, they baptized 630 more people. The largest single-day baptism in the history of Thailand because they got it figured out. And this is the way we do ministry. We come alongside and we help them, but we don't do the work. They're doing their own Jerusalem thing. And God is moving, in, and this isn't only happening in Thailand. It's happening all over the world. I want to tell you the story, because this was one of those original baptisms. This lady, if you look closely enough, only has one leg. And I saw her standing on the shore with her crutch, waiting, and her husband goes in, and the, the fellow here is doing the baptism, and, and he, he gets baptized, and then with his joy on his face, he comes to the shore and takes his wife's crutch and lays it on the ground, and he picks her up and carries her into the water and goes, and, 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 and look, at, look at the face, look at his face, look at his face. I saw him come out and there's joy on both of their faces, and I watched as he lovingly dunked her under the water and picked her up again and baptized her into Christ. What a joy. And this is happening. Uh, yeah, I often think I get to see this. You know, what a privilege. And, and we see, we're seeing God do this all over the world. It's really incredible. All right, back to God's Word. Back to God's Word. All right, so here we are. Now, I want to take us to Kersey now. Kersey is right here. Uh, that's an Arabic word. Uh, we don't know this area as Kersey. We know it as the area of the Gadarenes over on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And you know the story that's coming because uh, Jesus went across the lake and uh, met there, of course, the demon-possessed man. It's found in Mark 5. And uh, we're going to look at that now. So they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, or Gadarenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs. Uh, tombs. They're the tombs. Yeah, tombs. Um, to meet him. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? It's really interesting that one of the first proclamations of Jesus being the Son of God was from a demon. In God's name, now that's interesting that the, the, the demon is crying out in God's name. Don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. There's the, there's the, there's the tomb. A large herd of pigs was feeding, you know the story, on the hills, nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Now, I've been asked, what were pigs doing in Israel? Well, this was the demon-possessed area. No Jew would go there. Jesus kept taking his disciples to the worst places. Caesarea Philippi was filled with Romans and Greeks and the god Pan and, and Roman temples to Caesar. And no Israelite ever went there. It was the most pagan place in Israel. Jesus takes them to this place filled with idols and, and says to them, who do, you say the, uh, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And, and right there they have to answer. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Caesarea Philippi. Now that he takes them across the lake to the area where there are pigs and demons and stuff. Always takes them to hard places. 
So the impure spirits come out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down to the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So the, the stairs weren't there, but the steep bank was. And uh, here it is. And then the story goes on. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Funny, they weren't afraid when he was all bound and going crazy. Now he's fully clothed in his right mind, and now they're afraid. Well, of course, because the power of God was seen in their midst. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their re region. And that's just a beautiful part of the bottom of the lake, bottom of the, of the hill, right there. It's the end of the story. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Who would want that? Jesus did not let him. Here we go. Here's the point. But says, go where? Home. To your own people. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. You're Jerusalem. Go home. Nathaniel, I'm taking you to Cana. Formerly demon-possessed man, now set free and redeemed. Go home. So the man went away and began to tell in Decapolis, those ten Roman towns that filled Israel and Jordan in that area, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Let's go to the Philippines. We partner with the uh, Philippines Values Education Program. There's a number of these ministries in the Philippines because a number of years ago, the president of the Philippines, a Christian, uh, enacted legislation that said that there had to be Bible-based values education in all the public schools in the Philippines. We would long for that today here. And so, uh, but it was an unfunded mandate. The, the, there was no funding for it, so ministries got involved, and we went to visit uh, this national high school, and, uh, and, and we have... Thousands and thousands of volunteers, just everyday people who volunteer to go into schools, and some of them walk through incredibly difficult, uh, through rivers, and they, they, they have to walk for a day to get to the school on a little path through the jungle of the northern um, of the mountain provinces in northern Luzon. These people are my heroes. And they go and they teach children Bible-based uh, values. And, and children are coming, by the, literally, by the tens of thousands a year to Christ through this program. The challenge, of course, is that, that uh, the, there's, there's no churches in many of these villages. Because the gospel's never been to these really remote parts of the Philippines. And, and so here's, the, here's one of the classes. I love it. And uh, so the teachers, by the way, they all wanted Bibles, too. So we all give them Bibles, teachers lining up, librarians lining up. We have a bunch for our library, so we give a bunch of whole Bibles to the uh, teachers and the principal and, and a whole bunch of New Testaments to the kids. And, uh, and, and these children are coming to know the Lord. Some of them are really remote. We have to take a, a, a boat, like a little rickety canoe, up the river a little ways to go to an island. We're just approaching the island here now. And, uh, and, and then we met with the people there and, and shared with them. Now, I, I have a, because of our philosophy of ministry, um, I do not do baptisms. I, this white guy doesn't go to another country and baptize non-white people. I don't think it's right. Their own people need to baptize. The people who led them to the Lord need to baptize them. And then they can know, know how to do it culturally. But I'm going to tell you the story of Pastor Nancy. 
Pastor Nancy was a youth pastor at a church, and she got involved in the Values Education Program in a village where there was no church. And these kids were all coming to the Lord. What's she going to do? Because no pastor. So she becomes Pastor Nancy. And, uh, and so she's got this church full of kids. They're all teenagers, about 75 of them now, all new believers. And she's doing her best to keep up with what the Lord is doing here. And so it's got these kids who want to get baptized. And she had done a few the week before and was so nervous she could hardly stand it. So they begged me, and I said, okay, I'll do this. So anyhow, so I got these kids are just great, 17 of them. They're all teenagers. And, and, uh, and there's such vibrancy. I tell you, these kids have fallen slam in love with Jesus. It's great. And they're excited, and they're kids, and, you know, the church involves playing fun games at the beginning and stuff, and then time in the Word and really good worship, and it's just great. So here are these 17 that I baptized about 10 days ago in the Philippines, and here's Pastor Nancy at her church, a little sign out in front. Somebody gave her a free building on the main street of this little village. Isn't God good? Oh, so good. So here are the kids that we, uh, we baptized that day, all 17 of them. Got their New Testaments now. They're all happy, happy, happy. And, and then here's the whole church. Now there's a whole church of kids. And until she started going to the public schools and do Bible-based values education in the public schools, there wasn't a single Christian in this town. And by the way, uh, five moms are coming now. That's what happens. Five moms were there that night. And so that's pretty cool. And, uh, and the whole, the whole uh, village is being impacted by this 24-year-old young woman who decided one day that God was calling her to reach her own Jerusalem and do it through the Values Education Program in the local public school. It's really cool. I'm just about done. Oh, the Decapolis. Remember the Decapolis? Here it is. Here's one of the ten. This is Bethshan. This is one of the greatest uh, Roman uh, towns, archaeological digs in all of Israel. And uh, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, don't miss Bethshan. Uh, it, uh, it is stunning. And it's one of the, the, the Decapolis, one of the ten towns. Now, I asked my, my best friend, who's Israeli, is this the town that, uh, that the, the demon, the demon-possessed man uh, would have gone to? And he said, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. There's one a little closer to, to uh, Kersey than this, but it could be this one. So I'm, I'm surmising something here, but they have found something really cool here, just off to the left where the baths are, just out of this picture. Uh, they have found a little niche in the back of, uh, of a wall, and the niche looks like this. Now what's cool about this is, and you can't see it really well, but there's a cross here. You can see the cross really well. See the cross. And then on the other side of the cross is a little letter. Can you see it? Look closely, there's an alpha right there. And on this side there's a little omega, or omega, on the right, right there. All right, so this is the oldest, one of the oldest crosses they have found in the world. They think from the second century. And my imagination started to run a little wacky. And I thought, by the second century, there's already a church meeting here in Bethshan. And I wonder if, if that demoniac went back to Bethshan, to his Jerusalem, and the people there saw the difference that Jesus made, and two centuries later, there's still a bunch of Christians meeting together at Bethshan. I'm going to find out in heaven, but I do know that's how the Lord works. Because we're called first and foremost to go to our own Jerusalem. And Jesus says in Mark 5, 19, go to your house, to your friends, and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you.
I'm grateful for thousands, tens of thousands of volunteers that partner with us all around the world to reach their Jerusalem. They're in villages that no Western missionary could ever get to. None. They're in places that, that the second largest missionary sending nation of the world now, by the way, is South Korea. And this, even the Koreans will tell you that there are villages that we cannot get into. We just can't. We don't understand the culture or the language. It's a dialect. It really. But these people are reaching their Jerusalem. Do you know what? You speak Canadian. You know that? I'm not talking English. You speak Canadian. Right? Eh? <laughs> I mean, we understand our culture, right? Nobody understands it better than us. I guarantee you that if a missionary came from South Korea, and I have many friends who are South Korean missionaries, and we have a staff member who's a South Korean, but when they first come, I guarantee you they do not have this in their wallet. A Toronto Maple Leaf Tim card. That's, the, that's, that, that's better than my passport to prove I'm Canadian. <laughs> We're called to reach our Jerusalem, and it's right outside the door. I'll end with this. I was at a church well, recently, actually, and right above the exit signs, they have a sign that says right there, under the exit sign, it says, uh, uh, welcome to your mission field. So every time the people leave, they get the point. Your Jerusalem is right there. And you have tens, hundreds of thousands of your brothers and sisters around the world now who are reaching villages everywhere in their own Jerusalem with the gospel. And we come alongside, and there's still a role to play to help them and support them. But our Jerusalem is right there. Right there. And uh, here, it's called Cambridge. Where I live, it's called Bangor. It's another story. That's our Jerusalem. And so let's stand beside these, and I'll talk more tonight if you're able to be here, a little more stories tonight, uh, with these beautiful people reaching their Jerusalem. But let's reach ours for this country we love so much. And we want our, our fellow Canadians to know about the Lord. So let's, let's get out that door and reach Jerusalem. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that somebody told me about Jesus. Somebody told them about Jesus who told me about Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that all of us here can simply say very easily, come and see, come and see. And people will come, like Nathaniel, and they will see. And their lives will be transformed. And I thank you for that. Thank you for this church, Lord. I, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I thank you for the passion the leadership has here for this very message Father, I pray for great blessing on this church as they plan on how best to reach and impact their businesses down the street and the neighborhoods down the street and, and, and this community with the gospel. Bless them and fill this place with new believers as people leave this place and call their friends and their family and their neighbors. Come and see. In Jesus' name, amen.